Welcome to Empire Building, the podcast where we talk about building big businesses and even bigger lives. I'm your co-host, Wendy Papazan. I'm Via Williams. I'm Sarah Reynolds. And I'm Seychelle Van Poole. Today, we're going to talk about being the authority on who you want to attract in your business and, and honestly, in your overall life. Gary Keller tells us often that you are five years or less away from massive success. And for this to happen, then you have to attract amazing people in your world that are in alignment with your vision and goals to help make that happen. So today, we're going to dive into five key things. We're going to dive into becoming the confident leader to attract world-class talent. We're going to dive into defining your value proposition, evaluating your culture in your organization. And if you have many organizations, then you have many cultures. Uh, determining the who and the job descriptions for talent, right? Who are the people that can help achieve massive results in your business with you? And the last one is the systems around hiring to create a talent funnel. And believe it or not, there are a bunch of different ways to do this that all work great. So let's dive in. When we're on our leadership journey, the insecurity can often creep in with self-doubt, right? Yep, like self-talk, like, you know, I don't have enough proven track record or why would actually someone come work for me when, right. you know, Sarah Reynolds is right over there down the street killing it, right? That, I am not exactly. as good as Sarah. Yeah, That's totally. so trivia, right? And so how do you build yourself up as a leader um, when you may not actually have the street cred yet, right, to prove the results? Yeah, I mean, I remember really early on in my journey, I don't think I had the right self-esteem or confidence to hire really talented people. I didn't feel ready for them. I, I was nervous that they were going to kind of get behind the curtain and, and you know, imposter syndrome. Right. And they were going to see that I was actually a fraud, right? And, and <laughs> that I actually couldn't do what I said I was going to do. Yeah, well, and sometimes at the beginning, we actually aren't worthy as leaders of yeah. world-class talent. I mean, if we're honest, you can't imagine starting a business right at the beginning and having the most talented person want to join your organization. I thought it wasn't. That doesn't even make sense. And I think think if you get them, it's pure luck as to how you get them at that point. Yeah, Seychelle, this really becomes like a chicken or egg scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're all, if you're always waiting to arrive or to be there, uh, you're not going to have the right talent to take you where you want to go. Um, and then what ends up happening is that you underhire for the job. Mm. Uh, whereas in the beginning, I made the mistake, like for example, um, when you're looking to hire an administrator and you want them to hire uh, to be good at doing a particular task and you hire to them doing the particular task versus them leading your entire operations team, right? Uh, And so it's like a, it's a chicken or egg type of uh, scenario. Um, And this became a big problem as we grew because I wasn't hiring leaders in the beginning to really oversee a whole department. And now I look at each hire as, can they lead, as we grow our organization, could they lead 10, 15 other people under them as we grow? Yeah, well, I love that, Sarah. And I know for me personally, when I started in the real estate world, my husband was already pretty well known. Right. And had written many best-selling books with the head of the largest real estate company in the world. And so I've often felt like a fraud, if I'm honest with you. And I still, I still uh, ask myself the question, you know, is all my success based on Jay and his success? I mean, he for sure mm. gives me a lot of, a lot of coaching at home. And I, I often have those moments of self-doubt where, you know, is it me? Is it him? I just don't know, you know? 
Yeah. So I think that I think that's common uh, for a lot of females, in particular, female leaders. Um, I know that we always feel like that we have to have all of this background to then be almost be worthy of talent, right? Whereas um, I, I don't know about <laughs> about you guys, but every male in my organization has asked me for a promotion. Even one guy, he hadn't even sold one house, and he wanted to lead that entire state. And so I was like. You know, that's a, a, a men typically, and this isn't a mm-hmm. male versus female thing, but I do right. think what you're bringing up, Wendy, is really critical because we need to realize that w- many times we have our own insecurities, but then that impacts us attracting talent, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely well, and, right. And I know when I've had people apply for positions in my organization in the past, women typically have all of the skill sets needed in order to do the job. And I've had lots of applicants who are men who are maybe 35, 45, 50% of, of the way there, right? They have mm-hmm. 50% of the skills needed to do the job. And so that that plays out in data, not just in my organization, but across every company is that women typically think they need to have all the boxes checked before they go for something. That's so it's so interesting that you say that because I'm reminded of a quote that Michelle Obama said where she she kind of peeled back the curtain on her side. You know, she said, here's the secret, right? I've been at probably every powerful table you can think of. I've worked at nonprofits. I've been on foundations. I've worked in corporations, served on corporate boards. I've been at G summits, right? I've sat at the UN. And she goes on to say, they're all really just not that smart. And, <laughs> so true. And, so you know, true. it's. It, I think to your point, right? Even on even on a global leader level, right? That needing to have that confidence and attracting the culture and the people that you want to attract really is what it boils down to. And so, when we look at putting that out there, right? It, it, how do you get the confidence in yourself, right? How do you yeah. do that? It can seem so intimidating. Well, this really ties into our vision uh, episodes, guys. It really does because I believe one of the biggest hacks to get there, to get that confidence is to be be passionate and driven by your vision and, and have the capability to share that and get others bought in. That is the hack. That's the hack yep. here. If you do that early on and, and you're careful to not quite overshare it, we've talked about that too. You don't want to oversell your vision. But if you get right in in the beginning and you are passionate and you prove that you're a hard worker and you prove that you bring other people alongside of you, that right there builds confidence and gets people to join you. No, it, it's so true on the on the vision uh, podcast on the vision episode. You know, uh, there was a little bit of a disagreement between whether it was a vision or a goal, but whatever you want to define it as. Uh, we have a clear path that we want to help a thousand families a month, right? And when I was making a really key hire recently, my whole thought pattern was, is this person going to help me get to a thousand families a month? And I think you make such a key point, Bia, because so much of it, if we're thinking big enough, if we have a big enough vision, mission, goal, our goal, right? Then it, you can really, what builds your confidence is relying on that right? I'm going to attract talent to help me get there and use your vision as the confidence builder, basically. I, lo- I love that tip, Via. Well, I'm just going to get vulnerable here. And um, I, you know, guys, I, I, this wasn't in our script, so I'm just throwing it out there. You know, a couple of years ago, I had, you know, I, I was on a growth journey, right? Where I was doubling and tripling my growth. And then in 2018, I had the best, um, the the best year of my life. You know, we sold, it was all $2.7 million in revenue. 
We sold over 300 homes. Um, I felt like I had a thriving, happy culture. I was only working a few days a week. I, I sort of feel like I had it all. Yeah. And then the next year was very different. I had 26 people exit my real estate team. And I, I barely even had 26 people in, so I don't even know how that math works. <laughs> and it was a real, it was a real confidence shaker for me. Yeah, guys, it was really it. It shook me to the core. And if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, my vision has been. I dimmed my vision. I, mm. I feel like I've, I've, I feel like I've become more realistic or something, you know, which isn't really what you want for, for your vision. And so it's like, I don't know, how do you get your, how do you get your confidence back for your vision? Cause I don't want to oversell it. I think that was part of the problem. And, uh, you know, I, I want to have that confidence like I, like I have, but also I, I needed to have the rug kind of pulled out from underneath me because that helped me grow a lot yeah. as a leader. You know, Wendy, I really relate to that. Obviously that very similar thing happened to me. And, and this is what I know. What I know is competence breeds confidence. So we get our confidence through competence. So, you know, what what happens is you got down, knocked down a few pegs, right? I have been there, so did I. And and I think the important thing is, is you don't shy away from that. You use that as part of your narrative, right? Part of who you are. And in that vulnerability and that openness and that, hey, this is Wendy 2.0, this is Via 2.0, that's what you have to communicate. Mm-hmm. I um I now show people the video of me uh, sharing me losing my team. I say I want you to watch that because it's important for me. You understand who I was and what I went through and and what my path was to get here. I, mm-hmm. I want you to hear it from me directly. I want to talk about it. I want to have a dialogue about it on our second interview. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just a different. It's just a whole different deal, right? I, I think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here and share something that that I see through uh, what you just shared, Wendy and Via. I think part of it is getting clarity on who the right team members are for your organization. And um, I remember, and this is this is more about lead generation than it is about this, but it's the same concept. We had a competitor uh, come in and basically steal some of our messaging, right? And they were going everywhere and they were using our exact same messaging and just putting in their name. And then they also added some things that we weren't doing. And I remember calling one of my coaches and and being really nervous about my business negatively being impacted by it. And he said to me, stop. I want you to write down, I want you to take the next hour and write down who is your ideal client who is the what is the core competency of the Reynolds team network because what i'm hearing you say is that what what they're doing isn't what i know your core competence to be so and so one of the things that i think is really critical when we're talking about attracting talent is first and foremost define your 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 perfect team member right and i th- and i think part of it is people I have felt that people have had not even started with that. If you don't first start with what you're you're aiming for, what what who makes a perfect team member for right. the rental team? That's really network? like your values, right? Yeah. Yes, right. your values. It's yes. to your values, and mm-hmm. I think you know one thing we've de- we've the four of us have done an exercise with our group over at Amplify is if you if you don't know how to define your perfect client or your perfect team member, it's actually going in reverse and making a list of all of the fireable offenses. And making a list of what would I be willing to let a client or a team member go 
over. Mm -hmm. And then if you flip that on its head, right, that becomes the values then that you're looking at inside of your organization that you know have to be there. And so that could be helpful too. I think what's tricky is that a lot of times, at least in our industry, we define talent as like, the confident person, the really good driver, you know, the high salesperson, the high ego, the big Mm -hmm. ego. Let's be real. Aggressive. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas for me, it's all about team player, right? Mm -hmm. And and you, people that come into my organization better only want to be on a team, basically. Mm -hmm. And and we do so much to try to narrow down, are they being serious when they say they only want to be on a team? Uh, because that's what we're going to pour into. And that's who mm-hmm. we want to attract. And so I think that that's a, a big key is like making sure that you define very clearly um, who is the ideal team member that you're mm-hmm. wanting in your organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a, that is a big lesson I learned for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I so resonate with that, Sarah, because I, I thought... I got in this mode for a while of like, I want really hard drivers, aggressive builders inside of my organization, right? I'm going to have this massive empire building organization with all these massive empire builders in it. And I'm not saying you should shy away from that. And at the same time, though, I found that I was having difficulty getting commitment as to whether or not those people wanted to play on a team. And and I went through this recently with a really... Um, successful, talented person that just couldn't decide whether or not they found value in playing on a team, which is completely okay. And at the same time, though, I finally gave them the analogy of saying, the challenge that I am having is you want to be the star wide receiver and you want to be in like the the game winning play and you want my star quarterback to throw the ball to you, but you're not sure if you want to catch the ball or if you're going to decide if you want to catch it like in the end zone until the ball is in the air. Mm. And on a daily basis, I can't be wondering if my star wide receiver wants to catch the ball in the end zone today. Like a bench warmer. Pulling out a football. Right. Wow. Right. Look at me. Yeah, I'm sporty spice right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ruined it, didn't I? I totally just ruined it. No, that for me was like, what's the wide receiver? Right, but like, I mean, you can't, you can't have right, like, you know, wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady doesn't want to throw to Gronkowski, and Gronkowski like wakes up in the morning and he's like, I don't know, I don't know if I want to catch the ball today. I don't know if I want to play today. Like that, that's not going to make an award-winning team, and so. When, when you look at that, right, like I think it's it's not only going for somebody that's a high caliber talent, but to Sarah's beautiful point, they have to be somebody that wants to wake up every day and play together, be willing to not have to make every single play, throw every single ball, catch every single ball. You know, I mean, they have to be willing to play to a team and show up every day with that consistency. And, and here's what I know, Seychelle. What I know is typically a lot of what we talk about, not just on this podcast, but in our worlds, in real life, is clarity. I can't stress that enough that a lot of this boils down to clarity. How can you attract leaders if you yourself aren't clear of who you are, who your organization is, what you stand for, what the role is, what you know, what they're accountable to? The, the way I uh, define roles oftentimes is uh, when I'm coaching with someone, they'll explain, I have a cl- customer client manager. I'll go, great. What are they accountable to? And then, you know, well, I mean, they talk to the people. <laughs> You're like, okay, but what, what are they accountable to? 
Well, you know, are they accountable to growing the database? Are they accountable to conversation time? Are they accountable to referrals? Are they, you know, it, it's it's clarity. It's clarity. And, and, and it's always going to be clarity when we talk about almost any business concept, certainly with attracting leaders, right? And, and I think that you guys really touched on a great point, which is what, who I would call cul-de-sac talent. That is talent who's really good at one role and they really have no aspirations, desire, or maybe even ability to leave that role, right? And and there's actually, you know, maybe a place for them in some Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't mean they're not worthy in an organization. It might just yeah. mean that their opportunity path may look different. Some roles have a price, have a salary ceiling on them, right? And so... Of course, but, yeah. Yeah, but, but that is clarity. I have clarity that, you know what... I'm a small organization. Pretty much everybody needs to be a leader in the making around here. Pretty much everybody needs to be an emerging leader. And there's probably a few roles where a, a cul-de-sac talent who's going to stay there for 20 years is a huge asset to the company. And yeah. we really appreciate them. And that's going to actually cause, uh, cause the company to go farther faster, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's just clarity. Well, and I also think at the beginning, when you're growing your organization, you know, you don't already have a big organization. You need right. a lot of, you need people who can wear a lot of different hats, yeah, right? They absolutely. need to be a leader, which is they need to be able to run stuff, right? You can't come in and micromanage everyone because that gets exhausting. And they also need to shift and pivot and grow with your organization. And so it's kind of weird because when you're, you have, when you're growing a, a, a small team or a, a small organization, it's hard to know. Like, I want to find that person who's competent in the job, right. but I know they need to grow into something more. And so, finding that, looking for that, is that's tricky. You know? that's yeah, we, it is we really had a, tricky. Yeah, we had a team come uh, shadow us, and uh, in front of me, the uh, assistant looked at the other rainmaker and said, the other team leader, and said, um, "They have all of these positions." That are doing all of the, these jobs. I do five of the five mm-hmm. of those jobs, and mm-hmm. then asking the team leader, like, you need to hire more people because I'm doing all of these jobs. Mm-hmm. And my, I, I stayed silent, and my um, team member stepped in, and she said, "I did all those jobs too. The difference is, is that I pushed our organization to get to the point of being able to have the five jobs." And so your your That's role good. is to push the organization to get to the point to where you can divide it up. But in the beginning, you're gonna you're gonna hire people that do have to uh, wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. And speaking of clarity, I, I would love to also talk about so clarity around who you want to attract, also clarity around your value proposition. That's right. Right. So it's really important when you first start uh, an empire. Um, you, you know, it's you're not yet a large organization. What is your value proposition, right? I would love to to hear you guys uh, share some value proposition tips for our listeners. Well, first of all, I think a value proposition has to solve a, a real problem. So, it, you know, we a lot of us, well, all of us have real estate mm-hmm. teams, and so if your value proposition is something that they can do easily by themselves, then it's probably not a really big draw. You're not going to attract talent. But if you provide, you know, leads and a, a full comprehensive database marketing program, you know, the majority of agents struggle with those two things. That's a very compelling value proposition. Yep, that's good, Via. So how do you how do you take and define that when you're in a recruiting phase, right? Or a attracting phase for talent? What does that conversation look like? when you are casting your vision and showing what your value proposition looks like. I know for us, one thing that's really helpful is is to take not just support and leads, but actually to tangibly list that out for them. Mm -hmm. To say like, if you were going to go and recreate this yourself today, 
here is the $161,000 that you personally would be spending on an annual basis for those same things that you're receiving day one with our organization, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things that you look at when you're attracting talent? And, and I think that can change too. Right. So, for, so for me, as my organization has has grown, we have always uh, we always determined for attracting uh, great agents. Our value proposition was going to be appointments. So right. we provide appointments for our agents, and that has been a big pool uh, for our value proposition. Now, as we've grown, and and now that we've have people that have been with me for eight, nine, ten years. Um, our value proposition now, in addition to appointments, is now, hey, we're opening up 15 to 20 other businesses and you get to be an investor. You get to be part of that, right? And so creating more opportunity has now turned in, uh, changed our value proposition, right. which started out as appointments, is now, hey, we're now going to book appointments for all these other companies too. Mm-hmm. And you get to be part of it. And so I think that it can change as you grow. I love that. Well, and I love, I love Sarah, you, cre- you always create massive opportunity for your people. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, is, a, is a good place to just point out that sometimes we have it in our heads um, that big is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Big is a bad thing and that growth is bad and it's, it is messy and painful and it is all those things. And yet at the end of the day, I know for all of us, our value proposition as our teams have grown, it's gotten massively better for the mm-hmm. people in our organization. And this is kind of a weird example, but I know when Jay started at Keller Williams International, my husband, 20 years ago, it was very small. It was 26 people. And now it's about 10 times that. There's about 300 people there. And they have a wellness coordinator. Right? I mean, how great is that? Yeah, that's awesome. Right? That's awesome. So the bigger you get doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be worse. Yeah. So hopefully your value proposition is growing right? As your organization grows. And that's why people, and that's why somebody like Jay would stay at an organization for 20 years. That's right. You know, Wendy, this reminds me of a story. Um, and it happened a long time ago. It happened really early in my team building uh, growth. And, and at the time I was closely mentored and coached by Ben Kinney, who I now work for. And I, I called him up one morning and he answered back when he answered his phone and he answered and I, and it was just as I was cresting, you know, it was probably three or four, I was growing fast. I mean, I went from essentially $200,000 in income to 1.7 million in three years from there. And I called him up and I go, do you ever, Ben, do you ever wake up and just think it's all going to go away? Like it's like a house of cards. that's going to topple down. Have you guys ever had that by the way? Just mm-hmm. like, yes. like that feeling like, is this all, yes. poof, is it going to go away? And he thought about it a minute and I, and his answer is like cemented in my head and he goes, no. And I said, okay, Mr. Perfect. Why not? And he said, cause, cause, uh, cause we're big now. And, and I, I, it's deep enough that I don't have that fear anymore, but I've been there. I, I remember that fear, but no, I, uh, I've got a big enough organization now that, that no. You know, we talked about in casting a vision in one of our previous episodes about um, not overselling, right? The opportunity. And I think that same thing goes with the value proposition. Something I've learned over time is that I've got, I have to set metrics for earning the opportunity into additional value. And so it starts out right with nailing the role. 
And then once you nail the role, you earn the opportunity for bigger pieces. And now we have some of our key team members that have invested with us in like large regions or countries. Um, We have team members that have invested with us in properties or in market centers or other things on the path to building net worth. But all of those opportunities come by first nailing the role. And I think sometimes I see new team members come in feeling super excited about the big vision and where they get to go, but they forget along the way that the way you are defined as talent right, is that you nail the roles along the way to push the organization to where it needs to go. Yeah. And it's not something that comes the first year in your organization. That's right. The second year or the third year or the fourth year or even the fifth year, right? I think a lot of people come in and they do a great job and they just have, they have kind of had their hand out, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you as the business owner, you have the blood, sweat, and tears in your business. Yes, you do. You, know, you and you have all of the weight of that on on your back every single day, and you shouldn't you shouldn't give give that away lightly ever. So to yeah. move this forward, right? Where do you go to find talent? How do you go and actually setting out to attract talent? Not all of us are just picking up the phone and cold calling every day for talent, right? So so what are some of the ways in which you are looking for talent inside of your organizations? Well, I think first you start off recruiting talent, Seychelles, and then ideally you're attracting talent. And the best way I can describe it is it's the difference between telling and showing, right? So um, so when you can get to the point where you're showing, like Sarah, you're you're creating wealth and success for, for a number of your of your team members. Seychelles, you just said it. So, so are you. You're providing massive wealth opportunities. They're investing with you. And, and Wendy, you're providing a ton of them. I, I know all of you guys are doing that. So you're now at a point where people see how you're developing your people, right? And you're starting to attract them. And, and one of the, the things that, that we did, uh, right when I came to the Ben Kinney companies, I met with Ben and I said, I really think we need to tell our story better so that we can attract who we want to attract and, and attract people who, who buy off on how we talk and, and what our language is and what our goals are and what our vision is. And, and I created a leadership mentoring program for that, that reason. And, um, and I wanted it to show who we were and show what we were doing, not tell, right? It's yeah. not overt. It, it wasn't meant to be a... It's never been meant to be recruiting. It's meant to be an attraction to our organization. I love that idea. And I I, I watched that happen uh, Mm -hmm. with that group and it's been remarkable to see. I think I I tell my team members all the time, facts tell, stories sell. Because a story will have a bigger impact on someone than anything else. And I think our biggest story for all of our organizations are the current people that are in them, right? That is the biggest story that we have to tell is the the lives that we've impacted in our current organizations. And for me, I... I spend so much time and energy on, on, you know, doing my best to change people's lives within my organization. And then they've sort of become recruiters because what ends up happening is they tell their story of their life change from joining our organization. And then they end up, um, they end up recruiting uh, talent for us. And people will always attract similar people to themselves a lot of times. And so your biggest opportunity for attracting talent, your biggest opportunity for recruit, for recruitment are your own people. And even if you are small, it's amazing. I mean, my number one recruiter was my, my uh, very first buyer's agent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I changed her life. And I think when you focus on that and then they are out there focusing on telling the story, then other people want to be part of it. So so really focus on that um, and impacting the people in your organization's lives. I think that that is 
Awesome. And, you know, Sarah, one thing we talked about um, a couple of months ago was when you were looking at who you were wanting to attract, you guys found that there were some changes you were making in your recruiting efforts, right? And what you were putting out there that was actually changing the talent that you were bringing into the organization. Can you share a little bit about that? Because although it's a tactical measure, I think it is really instructional for people that are out there doing recruiting right now for their organizations to listen in on. Yeah, so um, that... Seychelle, thank you for asking me that because I think this is a big lesson that we learned. So before all of our sort of recruiting ads, so we get a lot of um, recruits through Indeed and a lot of our recruiting ads were all about that we offer appointments. Um, And so that's what the ads were about because that's our value proposition. And what ended up happening is um, a core philosophy of our organization is to be learning-based and constantly be learning and growing. And we weren't really talking about that much in the ad. Um, and so what we did is we changed it because we wanted to attract those that were learning-based. And although we did mention appointments, the main uh, the main bulk of the ad now is about Reynolds Team University, coaching with Debbie and Sarah Reynolds directly, making sure we're attracting people that want to learn. And so what we realized is making sure your ads are written to attract who you want. Um, and again, it starts with the clarity around who you want. And I don't That's think we so had good. that originally. Yeah. So I love that. Well, love and that. you guys, we, we've covered a lot of meat in this episode today. Um, and, and I'm sure this is going to be a topic we're going to cover multiple times because attracting um, and recruiting and retaining talent, right, becomes the difference between being um, somebody that has a job in a business, right? To becoming a business owner. And when you're in that path and that pursuit, that truly is how we become empire builders um, on that path. So today, I just want to wrap up with some of the things that we covered, right? We covered becoming the confident talent attractor, right? As Via beautifully said, right? Competence breeds confidence right? We talked about determining your value and culture that you want to have, and then how to attract that person into your organization. Then we talked about the who. And finally, we touched a little bit on where to go, uh, find and create a system for attracting that talent. I want to thank you guys for joining us today on Empire Building. Um, We're so appreciative of that. And please come back, subscribe and join us next week um, because we're going to be covering a lot more topics on the way to building our empires. Um, So thank you and we appreciate you and hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening to Empire Building. If you like what you heard, join our tribe by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and help us spread the word by leaving a five-star rating and review. Until next time, wishing you a life worth living And remember, you are an empire builder.